0: welcome to the red door church sermon podcast red door church is a church seeking to transform the city of pretoria by the power of the gospel we are distinctly mission-minded community cultivating and city loving please enjoy this week's sermon and don't forget to follow and continue the conversation by sharing with those around you thanks Kwani and megan leading us in song this morning as well that was great it was really fun morning family it is great to be with you this morning. It is, it is even especially great since our numbers are a little bit down. It's cold. Man, it's just good to be with family. It's good to still gather together to sing to, with one another, to get excited about God's Word. And this morning is all about expectations. We're going to talk about what do you expect and what do you expect from God. And so I'm really excited. One thing that we can know and that we can expect is that nothing is an accident, and so the fact that you are here this morning has been predetermined by God since before the creation of the world. And so that's something to, to ponder about and to think about. And so whatever is happening right now, what is happening in your life right now, know this, that God wants to speak to you. He wants to reveal himself to you. And he wants to draw you closer to his heart. For that to happen, we need the work of the Spirit. So let me pray both for your heart, for my heart, and that God would guide me through his spirit right now. Father God, we thank you this morning. Um, Even though, as people from Pretoria, we're not particularly keen on the cold. we We still see your sovereignty. We still see your sovereignty in the changing of seasons. And in this time, we are once again reminded that as things change, one thing remains the same, and that is your goodness, that is your love, that's your sovereignty. And so even this morning, we once again want to be reminded by this. Help our forgetful hearts. We need this. We need the fellowship of the saints. We need the corporate worship. We need to once again set our gaze on the glorious image, which is you, God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, by your Holy Spirit. Do that this morning. Please, we plead with you, Lord, And we can be thankful knowing that you want to do this. You want to bless us in this way. Definitely for our benefit and for your glory. Amen. Fam, having the right expectations matter because it influences the way that we approach life. Think about you give someone that's not very tech savvy the newest iPhone. They don't have the right expectations of the phones and they're not really going to fully use the phone to its full potential and so they'll be missing out. Think about if you have the expectation that a certain course will be easy at uni, and then it's not, and you didn't prepare the way that you should. Thinking about dating, and you're not having the right expectations of marriage, and you're expecting the other person or party simply to serve you in the way that you want to be served. How detrimental that can be. Think about having kids. Not many of you have kids. If you think... (laughs) Kids are just going to be a carbon copy of you and do everything that pleases you and just have this Hollywood image of what it's like having kids. That can be tricky. What we need from life and from our different situations is we need to calibrate our expectations. Um, Expecting too much or even expecting too little from a particular situation or from someone or something can actually hinder us from reaching our full potential. So what do you expect from getting out of this life? And if you're a Christian this morning, what do you expect from God? What is your expectations from Christianity? As you follow Christ, what are the things that you expect will naturally be true of your life? Do you have the right expectations? Do you think you're expecting too much of God or too little of God? I don't think there's a lot of us that would think even this morning that we're expecting too little of God. However, this text might reveal some interesting things in the way that we not only view God or approach God, but what we expect from God. And that's what this text is all about. So let's dive in. Just a little bit of context to bring us back to where we're at. Last week, Jeff spoke about discipleship and following God and and what it means to answer the call. And so we took a bit of a break from Acts. We're back in the book of Acts. As Cranker uh, said in this title, "Saint," we saw, or, and we're seeing how Jesus is the acting agent. We're seeing how His acts are continuing through this book. However, it is continuing through His Holy Spirit, empowering the apostles for works of ministry. And specifically last week or two weeks ago, we saw the formation of the first spirit-filled church. And it was interesting. This first church was characterized by a people by a community who submitted to the word of God, who loved one another, and who loved the community around them. And this is kind of where we're at right now. We're still in Jerusalem. The apostles are growing and maturing the church, and they're still doing things that normal Jews would do at that time. And one of the normal rhythms of being a devout Jew, or just even a normal Jew, is that you would go often and regularly to the temple for prayer. It's kind of a social thing that you did, but it's also just part of your religion. And this is the scene that we're entering right now as most of the Jews are on their way for daily prayer at the temple. And so, let's go back into it. If you do have your Bible with you, it's going to be really helpful. We're constantly going to reflect back to the text. And so you can unlock your Bible or open your Bible and we're going to read from verses 1 to 12 again. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer in the ninth hour. And a lame man from birth was being carried they had laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple, asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement, at what had happened, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, "Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him to walk?" And so this is the scene. You know, everyone's going to the temple, and uh, there's different gates to the temple, and there's one beggars. Friends, they carried him to the temple because it's a perfect place to kind of sit. And he's just asking for donations as people are coming. He's trying to get by, he's trying to somehow get a form of income. And as he was sitting at the gate and he was asking donations as everyone coming by, he saw Peter and John, or Peter and John rather saw him. And Peter said, Look at us. And obviously, what did this cat think? He's like, Oh, at last, someone's going to give me something, someone's going to give me a financial contribution to my needs. However, what he got was much more than he bargained for. Not only was his health restored, but we see he was introduced to this new name, to the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And his reaction to being healed was to leap with joy and to jump, and also to praise God and to go with them into the temple. And you can imagine, this caused quite a commotion as people recognized that this was the lame beggar that was now not just walking, but leaping with these guys on his way to the temple. And so, man, people are so funny. They're like, man, whatever's happening, FOMO was a real thing. They're like, we don't know what's happening, but we don't want to miss out. And so they just started running. They're not even sure why they're running, but they're running towards to see what this commotion is about. And they're like, oh, Peter and John were the ones in charge of this. And so they ran to them, and they're like, man, what are these guys going to tell us? How did they do this? What was the recipe? Maybe they're gonna tell us something and they're gonna give us the recipe. It's like, hey guys, we've got the 10 steps to do this and we can ex- you know, we can give it to you, but for a small fee. But this is not what happens. They ran to Peter and John and as Peter saw the crowds, he launches into the sermon and we'll get to the sermon in a minute, but he starts the sermon with a soft rebuke of the crowd in verse 12. He says, men of Israel, why why do you wonder at this? Why are you astonished? Why are you surprised? Why do you see at us as though we made this man walk by our own power or piety? It's quite a comical scene, if you think about it, that Luke has kind of constructed in the way that he's retelling the story. And I think Luke is very purposeful in the way that he's retelling the story because he wants to show us two definite misconceptions that happened. Firstly, we see that the beggar was looking at them, expectant, but he was expecting the wrong things from Peter and John. Secondly, we see the crowd running to Peter and John, but they were looking or expecting something from the wrong people. And so Luke purposefully fits the story to show the wrong expectations of the beggar and of the crowd so that us, the reader, can see this and also reorient our own hearts. So that we should reorient our own expectations regarding what we think we need and to whom we should look to receive that. We see that the beggar looked to Peter and John to receive something. However, the thing that he was hoping to get was simply money. Something fleeting, immediate, to satisfy the need that he had at that stage. He never once thought to think about asking for something more. Never even crossed his mind. But what Peter gives him is not the ability to walk, but is an introduction to the Savior of Jesus Christ. Later on, we see that Jesus is also called the author of life, the one that created all things, but also the one that has the ability to restore one's soul. Family, do we know what we should get excited about in Christ, or are we settling for less? following and submitting to the rule and authority of Jesus Christ carries with it a particular blessing. And the problem in our modern age is that we have diluted that blessing or at the very least we've exchanged it for lesser blessings. Allow me to sound a little bit like a prosperity preacher this morning, but do you know that Jesus wants to give you more than what you're asking for right now? Do you know that we who look to Christ to receive something like the beggar, but our expectations of Jesus can be too low? We need to expect more. Because when we don't, we might miss what's been given to us. We might miss what Christ rightfully wants to bestow upon us. He wants to give us a better and a bigger blessing. Hold on to that thought it's not just what we expect but the confusion also reigns from whom we should expect this where we should look like or look to when the crowd witnessed this they ran to peter and john in expectation maybe these guys can give us this new teaching this new way to live and unfortunately even in christianity what we sometimes do is the person that we look to that we think can give us this blessing is, blessing is often ourselves do you notice what peter said is like this is not by my own piety Piety means to live holy or a holy life. And so somehow the crowd thought that if I can only live good enough, well enough, I will receive a special blessing. Maybe these guys know the recipe of how to live well. So even though they were religious and thought they were looking to God, in actual fact, they were looking to themselves to save themselves and to bless themselves. We often have this problem as Christians as well. We think that God only blesses us when we deserve it. So we try and be better people. If that with the case, we don't look to God for blessing. We're actually looking to ourselves to be our own messiahs, to be our own saviors to change our behavior, to change who we are. We think that we possess that ability, and yet, even though we fail constantly, daily and weekly, we somehow still don't convince ourselves that the answer doesn't lie within us. But it should come from outside of us. When we don't look to ourselves, often what we do is we look to people that have seemingly attained success in this world. We want to listen to the advice and the blogs and the interviews of the celebrities and of the billionaires because they've made it life, So they must have some info, some insight as to what to do in this life to be able to make it. I want to know the routine of Bill Gates because whatever he's doing, he's made it. I want to know how he wakes up in the morning. What's the first thing that he thinks about, reads about? And I want to order my life in the same way. Haven't, haven't we done that? And so in so doing, we make the double fallacy of what has just been explained in this passage. One, we think that what he has is what we need and we think that who he is is who we need to be. Earlier this month, after 27 years of marriage, Bill and Melinda Gates filed for divorce. The fourth richest man in the world at the moment, advisor to many people, a great philanthropist, And billionaire does not possess the tools or the ability to save the closest relationship in his life. And unfortunately, this is going to be a heart-wrenching process for both of them and for their kids. I'm not exaggerating, and I don't think I'm lying, family, when I'm saying that what God wants to give you is more than all the billions that the gates have. Peter, after addressing these fallacies of you're looking to the wrong person and you're asking for the wrong things, goes into another glorious sermon where he shows where we should be looking and for what we should be looking. Spoiler alert, it is Jesus. But let's read it. Let's read verses 13 to 16. Our hearts are so forgetful. We don't believe this. The God of Abraham has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man the perfect health in the presence of you all. Of course, the answer is Jesus Christ. And we probably could have guessed it at the beginning of the sermon that it is going to be about Jesus, but do we know who Jesus is? Can we really fully describe, comprehend that Jesus is the answer to the expectation that's been built up in the Old Testament, that for thousands of years people have waiting for Jesus Christ, that he is in the succession of the line of Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, that he is the promised one, that he wasn't the plan B of God, he was the plan all along, that he is the climax of all of creation. Everything has been leading up to Jesus being revealed, to angels and to men, the only holy and righteous one that has ever lived, the only holy one that has never sinned but has perfectly fulfilled the will of God, the author of life, meaning that he was there at the beginning of creation. He was the acting agent through which God created this world, and not, ever, not just the physical creation, but also the spiritual recreation. Now through his death and re- resurrection, God or Jesus is recreating. He is restoring that which has been broken. Giving spiritual life to all who are trusting in him and is submitting to his will. This is the name of Jesus. The one whom he said, another one like Moses will come, meaning someone that will lead people from bondage into the promised land. Another one that was promised by Samuel, meaning the king that will always reign forever. Another one in the line of Abraham, meaning that he is the blessing for all nations. When we say in the name of Jesus, we're not just talking about saying the actual words, name of Jesus. We're talking about everything that it represents and fully trusting in that and only in that. It is the weight that is behind that name. It is the authority that is caught up in the God Jesus Christ. Friends, this is to whom we should look for, for prosperity, for blessing in life. He is the only one capable of really giving life and not a hollow version of it. And you know what's more? He's not just able, he's willing. That is a major shift. Not only is this God capable of doing it, He is actually willing and He wants to give it to us. He wants to bless us. He is extending the arm of salvation to everyone who wants to believe, that wants to trust, that wants to find their fulfillment in Him. Because of this, we need to realize similarly to the Jews back then, who also served God, but they had. Trust in them, that they were trusting in themselves and in their religious practices and all these other things. We need to realize that we cannot try and hold on to both Christ and something else. We cannot try and rely on Jesus and also keep an eye open if something better is coming along that would maybe give me a fuller and a better life. I don't know if you guys can remember back in the old days, um, people used something called Facebook and uh, bear with me, it had this function called events, that you could create an event on Facebook. Some of you might not know about this, a little bit young. Uh, But what you could do if you wanted to host a a Saturday night, you could create the event and you could invite your friends and you had three options to respond. Guys, remember? Accept, decline, and maybe. No one would ever straight up decline because that's just rude. That's a digital slap in the face so no one would decline however no one would also accept even if you planned on going and even if you didn't have anything else going on saturday night no one would press accept or very little people would most everyone would click on maybe why well one of the two reasons probably is we don't like commitment we We're just holding out. It's like, I'll probably go, but maybe something else is gonna come along that's better that I can rather go to. I don't know what I'm gonna feel like on Saturday. Maybe I'm not in the mood of going and I've committed to going and so I'd rather not just put all my eggs in this one basket. We don't like to be tied down. Sadly, this is how many Christians treat Christ. Yes, I'm following him, but I'm afraid to go all in. What if there's more to this life than just living for Christ? What if there's this existential fulfillment that I can have of just following my dreams of traveling or living for myself or building my own empire? What if there's another recipe, another power, another piety that could give us more? Friends, these types of Christians are actually missing out. Not living with Jesus as the supreme one to which we look to means we don't look to him at all and we are settling for less. Great African theologian Augustine of Hippo said it this way, Christ is not valued at all if he is not valued above all. We need to expect more from Christianity and it starts with having our eyes set on Jesus as our only Messiah for everything and anything. This is to whom we look. And now we need to ask if, if he is the one that we should expect to receive everything from, what is it that we can expect from Christ? And we don't want to be like the beggar that we set our expectations too low. Many of us, I think, are disillusioned with Christianity because we've been kind of living in this way. We, we, we're looking to Jesus, but we're not expecting a whole lot from him. And so we're not getting everything that we can get out of it. So what can we expect from Christ? Well, here it is, verses 19 to 21. 19 says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Jesus heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Three things that we clearly see that Christ wants to bless you with. One, that all your sins may be blotted out. That means eradicated, canceled, as if it never existed. He does this, of course, through his death and resurrection because he was the holy and the righteous one. He is the only one that didn't deserve to die. However, on the cross, what he did there is something that we call the great exchange. He took the blame. He took the punishment that we rightly deserved on him. And he gave us his holiness and his righteousness so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. when we don't have this, when we don't believe this, we still live in fear of people, of life, and we live in fear of God because we secretly actually do know that we don't measure up. We actually do know, nobody has to convince us, we do know that we're not good enough. We do know that there should be some form of punishment or retribution for what we've done. If people really knew what I did and thought, especially what I thought, they would not associate with me. Through Jesus, though, you're a different person. You're a different being. You're a different creation. No longer are you defined by what you've done, but rather by what he has done. That means we've got a different status before God. And we won't receive the punishment that we deserve. If we don't have that, if we won't receive the punishment, that we, then we won't live in fear. And if we don't live in fear of God, it takes away the fear of the people around us. We don't have to try and prove ourselves to other people. You don't have to try and prove yourselves to your parents. You don't even have to try and prove yourself to yourself because that fear has been taken away. The fear that I've got to measure up. Many people achieve success, yet they feel hollow and fearful because they don't have that, accept, that acceptance yet. Christ gives what no amount of fame and money can give, a heart deprived of fear, a heart full of expectant, uh, acceptance, a heart full of peace, a heart knowing that it is love just as it is coming to Christ. Number two, Christ wants to give us, he says that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You know what was the worst thing about our sinful state? It was that we as a human race were removed from a holy God who could not tolerate unrighteousness. Now, because of Jesus, we are brought back not just into relationship with God, but also into close proximity with God. We don't worship him from afar. We don't simply hold to rituals. We have intimate communion with God because Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to unite us with God through the union of Christ. This means that we are restored to the intended way that we were created. People were created for community. That we know. However, it was not just primarily to be in communion with one another. It was to be created or to be in community with God. Once we were removed from God, it caused a fracture in the human soul. A void that we see people constantly trying to fill. We see it through people trying to fill that through acceptance, through sex, through substance abuse, through addiction, through exercising too much, through exercising too little, through eating too much or, too, or not enough. Working ourselves to death or giving in to laziness. Imbalance in our lives because of this void, causes us to look and ask for one another constantly for solutions, for something to fill that void. However, what we need to realize, it's because we are at odds with the author of life. And because we're at odds with the author of life, it means that we cannot restore it, but we need to be restored. We need to be reset to factory or default factory settings. We are but the phone. We cannot do it. We need an outside force to come in and to change us, and that is the Spirit of God, which is freely given to everyone who believes. This is the refreshment that our soul needs. This is the void. This is the itch that we cannot scratch. It is something that will never be found outside of Christ, and He gives it freely for those who look for it in Him. Not only does he blot out our sins, he gives us refreshment. But we also see that he says, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoring all things. What does this mean? It means that not only here and now does God and Jesus restore our hearts and our souls, but when Jesus comes again, he will restore all things that we see around us. All the brokenness, all the heartache, The pain, the suffering, the injustice, the inequality, the diseases. Jesus will restore this and this gives us hope. People with hope are decidedly different and engage their surroundings different than people living with the thought that their current circumstances will have the final say. We see this and we've seen, it's been documented pretty well. If you read the diaries of Anne Frank and some of the other Holocaust survivors, that most often those who actually made it through the concentration camps, through the internment camps, were those who had hope of salvation. Those who actually believed that tomorrow can be better than today. That hope changed the way that they actually engage with their circumstances. Now friends, what we have is not just we're hoping on hope, but we have a real hope that we can look to. A promise of fulfillment, even though we are changing the world around us, even though we are seeing the kingdom of God come, we know that it won't fully happen until Christ returns. But when he does return, what a sweet day it will be. What a good refreshment. What a good restoring of all things family if you want more out of life and more out of christianity we need a single-mindedly look to jesus it might be this morning that many of us have maybe wandered away in our thoughts and hearts we've been brainwashed in some way thinking that the cheap food the sweets that you get at the end of the counter that that's what we actually need we we're So hungry, we're starving, and we're buying chappies, thinking that that would fill us. We're invited to the real banquet of life this morning. We're invited to come and feast at the table of Christ that he has prepared for us through his sacrifice. What this morning tells us, and what Peter and John is also saying through the text, is saying the time of ignorance is over. Let's not run to those things. Let's not fool ourselves and tell one another that those are the things that we want. Even though we know (laughs) tomorrow when we wake up, our hearts are going to tell us a different story. The moment you go to work, go to study, or move outside of your home, your heart is going to tell you a different story that you need something else. Brothers and sisters, we need to keep our eyes on Christ and we need to remind one another of this. We need to see the world for what it really is. Pretending. Everyone is pretending that they've got it sorted out. All the celebs, all the people who have seemingly made it in this life, they are simply pretending, trying to hold back their fears, or people seeing how hollow and how void and empty their lives are. And we need to remind one another that we have it better that we have more in Christ, that he wants more for you, that we can expect more fulfillment from Christianity. Once our expectations align with that, it naturally will draw our hearts closer to God. Even though we wonder, he calls us back by his grace, he calls us back by his word, and he calls us back by his community. Amen. Father God, how good we have it in you this morning. We have to confess that many times we have too low expectations of you, thinking that the gospel is good news, it is good advice, but it's not the ultimate thing that we can look for. Even this morning, as we are gathered here today as a smaller family, Father, there's some part of us that thinking, maybe the other people have got it right. Maybe I am missing out. Father, we pray that our hearts would once again be captured by you and the work and the beauty of Jesus Christ. I pray in your spirit that you would once again align our expectations, that we would actually ask more of you, that we would make known our desires and anxieties to you. I know, Lord, that I don't do it because of lack of faith, but I do pray, but I don't ask because I don't believe. Father, turn my heart back to you. I pray for everyone this morning, everyone listening to this afterwards, that our hearts would be turned back to you. Even though we do wander and do stray, we are so thankful that in your grace, you don't allow us to go too far, but you call us back to you. And Father, even as we sing now and we close off in song, help us to even in song encourage one another. We praise your name for church and for community. You are glorious and worthy to be praised. Amen.